Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash baldhead Bible. And there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. David was busy working in Ziklag, and he was probably worried about the battle between Israel and the Philistines and wondering what had happened when in comes a man and he looks over and he sees him and his his face is covered in dirt and his clothes are torn. (gasps) Oh no, David's probably thinking that's the classic sign of mourning and this man exhausted stumbles in and falls at David's feet. David helps him stand up. And he says, who are you? And the man says, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a Malachite. And I was at the battle on Israel's side fighting the Philistines. And I am here to tell you that all the men of Israel have scattered. The Philistines won. And worst of all, he looks at David and David looks at him. King Saul is dead, and so is his son, Jonathan. And David, he begins to weep and to wail. No, this cannot be. No, wow, no, no. And he turns to the man, what happened? What happened? And and he said, I, I was in the battle, and I was fighting, and, and I looked over, and I saw King Saul. And King Saul was fighting as well, and I, and I ran over to defend him, and King Saul turns to me. And he says, please, kill me, kill me, because I'm, I'm in anguish for my life, and the battle is too close upon me. Please, kill me, kill me. And, and, and so I turned, and I took my sword out, and I killed King Saul. And then I brought the crown and maybe pulls the crown of Israel out of a bag that he had with him. And he holds it up and he says, I pulled it out of the bag and and here's the crown of the king to prove that I'm telling the truth. And, And then he reaches in and he pulls out and here's his armband. 
And then basically the this metal, beautiful jewelry that would wrap around a man's arm or maybe near his wrist. And he's saying, here, he, here's the armband and the crown of King Saul, both proof that I am telling the truth. And he drops them at the feet of David. And David picks them up and he looks at them and he begins to weep and to wail and to cry. And the man, he's kept his face to the ground. But as his face is facing the ground, a big smile begins to form. He's thinking, David's sad. And when David's sad, he's probably going to pay me a lot of money for this wonderful thing that I did. And he's probably trying to keep his joy down and said, oh, he keeps weeping and wailing. Now, why is this Amalekite smiling? Because it's a big fat lie, right? If you remember from last week's podcast, how did Saul die? He killed himself. Saul fell on his own sword, and so did his armor bearer. This Amalekite didn't kill Saul. What a big lie. He probably was fighting, probably hiding under a rock, avoiding most of the battle, and he just happened to stumble across the dead body of Saul, grabbed the crown, grabbed the armband, and thought, if I go find David, I can make some money out of this. And so he runs to find David to try to sell him on this idea that he killed King Saul and he runs all this way and he on the way he probably tears his clothes. I gotta look like I'm mourning because a sign of mourning back then was to rip your clothes and then to put ashes from a fire pit on top of your head. Well, he made sure to do that and when he came to Ziklag and stumbled in, He's thinking, I found David. I mean, why this guy lied? It must have been to get some money, to get something out of David. Maybe land, maybe jewelry, something. Well, it says in 2 Samuel that David, he just mourns and weeps for Saul and Jonathan all evening and cries and And I can imagine David weeps in his tent and cries for Saul and for his best friend, Jonathan. And maybe this Amalekite is wandering around outside thinking, all right, come on, let's get this over with, people. I've got some money to get. I've got some land to make. Let's stop this. And finally, David calls for this Amalekite and the Amalekite wanders in and he's thinking, I am going to be blessed. I am going to get something great. And David stands up and he walks over to the Amalekite and he asks him this. How is it that you were not afraid to put your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed. How come, Amalekite? And by the way, where are you from? And the man says, well, I'm a sojourner. I just wander around. I don't really have a particular home, but, but I am an Amalekite. And David snaps his fingers and calls one of his young men to him. And he says, take him out and execute him 
And the man's, what? I, I'm expecting wealth. I'm expecting prestige. I'm expecting honor. I'm, I'm, what? No, no, wait, wait, wait. I totally lied. He killed himself. I can imagine him yelling, wait, wait, no, no. And they throw him to the ground and whack. He's dead. And the young men probably came to David and asked him, why'd you kill him? And David says, you know what? His blood is on his own head. Because he said, he told us that he reached out and used his own sword to kill the Lord's anointed. We can't do that. If the Lord put him there, the Lord will take him down. And, and God, and he used his own might to kill the Lord's anointed. That is unacceptable. I mean, what a way to start the rise of David to king. I mean, that's what we're going to follow here. The rise of David to king. It has been 15 years. Think about that. 15 years since Samuel anointed David as the future king of Israel. For the last 15 years, David's been running. And twice, twice David could have killed Saul. Twice he could have taken him out. But each time David said, I cannot touch God's anointed. And one time he even cut off a bit of his robe, remember, a bit of Saul's robe, and he felt bad about it because in David's heart, he knows God put Saul in charge. And I don't have the right to just do what I want to do. I have to be wise. I have to honor Yahweh. Remember, he is a man after God's own heart. So right off, as he rises to be the king, he starts off with a simple declaration, I'm going to honor God. This Amalekite did not honor God. This Amalekite dies. And then the other thing is, right off the bat, we know <laughs> that you should not lie. Man, I wonder what this Amalekite is thinking. What a waste of a life. What an absolute waste of a life. None of the story was true. And for telling a lie, he gets killed. I just want to say this is an extreme example, but a vivid example of the need to tell the truth. Do not lie. Be honest. Tell the truth to your mom and dad. Tell the truth to your employers. Tell the truth to your spouse. Be an honest person as best as you can. Because it could cost you your very life. And hear this Amalekite. What a wasted life. Well, David, he mourns. And he weeps. And the rest of chapter 1 is a lament, which is a big word for a sorrowful poem. A poem of sadness. A poem of weeping. And, and in this poem, he keeps using this same phrase, how the mighty have fallen. How the mighty have fallen. And he laments and is sad over the fact that King Saul the mighty has fallen. And he's especially sad and broken up over his best friend, Jonathan, the mighty, mighty Jonathan, has fallen. David laments and he cries and he weeps. But then he says, there is a time for weeping 
and now it's over. There is a time for crying and remembering your good friends, but let's pick ourselves up and let's see what we've got to do next. And when he has a major decision to make, David does the right thing, which is what? He seeks the will of God. He asks God, hey, what should I do next? He he literally consults the Urim and the Thummim, which is, remember, that breastplate, and they have these, these stones in there that you can pull out, and it gives you a yes or no answer. And so David is not certain what to do. He's in Ziklag, which is a city in the Philistine territory. The Philistines have just conquered a lot of northern Israel. And, and David, is, David is thinking, what should I do next? Should I stay here in Ziklag? Should I go into Israel? And so it says in 2 Samuel chapter 2 that David inquires of the Lord and says, God, What do you want me to do? And through a series of signs and conversations with the Lord, the Lord says, I want you to go to Judah, to the city of Hebron. Go to Judah, and within that tribe, I want you to find the city of Hebron, and there... That's where I want you to settle. Now, remember, the land of Israel has been split into 12 tribes. Remember under Joshua, that whole series, how Joshua came back and took the land, and and it was allotted all the tribes of Israel. There were 12. Each got their own allotment. Well, one of the tribes was Judah, and they are in southern Israel. And, And remember earlier that David had given lots of sheep and lots of jewelry, and he'd given a lot of things to Judah to make them happy, to make them like David. Well, now it's paying off. And David comes to Hebron, and he says, Hey, I want to set my kingdom here. I want to establish my capital here. Are you with me, tribe of Judah? Are you behind me, tribe of Judah? Well, it says that the men of Judah, they come to David and they anoint him king. So now David is king over Judah and he establishes his capital in Hebron and he brings his two wives and he brings their kids and and then he brings his valiant men and they start to settle on Hebron and in all the various towns around there and that's where he establishes his headquarters and he is king over Judah for the next seven and a half years. Woohoo, man, this is a major step up, right? From running and running and running for the last 15. Now for the next seven and a half years, he will be king over Judah. The only problem is there's 12 tribes and there's 11 more. And who is their king? Well, their king is one of Saul's sons. Remember, Saul and... Three of his sons were killed in the battle, one of them being Jonathan. Well, Saul had other sons, and one of his sons, his youngest son, it seems like, was named Ishbosheth, which is a really weird name to say, but Ishbosheth. And Ishbosheth became king over what we would call the rest of the 11 tribes of Israel. Now, this probably was an Ishbosheth's idea. Now, he was 40 when he began to reign, so he's not a young little kid, but it seems this Ishbosheth 
wasn't one of the most favorite sons of Saul, and he was a little weak. Because he only reigns for two years, and the major power behind Ishbosheth was Abner. Now, Abner was Saul's commander in chief. Abner was in command of the army under Saul. And so Abner is like, I see what David's doing in the south. He's the one really pulling strings and manipulating things. And he's like, we've got to move. Let's make uh, Ishbosheth. You're, you're part of the family and the lineage of Saul. You'll be king. And Ishbosheth, oh, all right, all right, we'll do it. Yeah, 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 that'll work. And, and Abner says, hey, remember, Abner, I am your great uncle. See, because they're all connected here, right? Which I think is interesting. But but Abner was Saul's uncle, and he's Ishbosheth's great uncle. And he probably used his family influence to say, Ishbosheth, you are king over the rest of the eleven tribes. And we've got to move you away from where the Philistines have invaded. And so they moved more east and they crossed the Jordan River and they set up their capital in a place called Mahanaim. It's really hard to say. Mahanaim, near the river Jabbok in this region called Gilead, again, on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And and that's where he sets up his kingdom. And so we have Ishbosheth, king of the 11 tribes of the north, and David, king of Judah. Now what's going to happen? But what's going to happen is civil war. And what's going to happen? And what's going to happen is Ishbosheth and David are going to begin to fight, or more realistically, David and Abner are going to begin a battle to find out who is going to eventually be king over all of Israel. How are they going to unite Israel? Because we know one day David will become king over all Israel. Well, that battle for all of Israel begins now. Ishbosheth's leading 11. David is king over one of the biggest tribes, but still only one, Judah. And their first battle is one of the strangest battles I have ever heard of. Joab who becomes David's chief commander. David could have led his own army, but he's king, and so his second-in-command to lead the army for him was a man named Joab. Now, like Abner is related to Ishbosheth, Joab is also related to David. How? Joab is the son of Zariah, who is David's sister. Let me say that again. Joab is a son of Zariah, David's sister. And Joab also had two brothers, Abishai and Asahel. So Joab becomes the commander of the army, and he brings along his brothers, Abishai and Asahel, and they lead the army under David, and Abner leads the army under Ishbosheth, and they meet for one of the strangest battles I've ever heard of. They meet at this pool called Gibeon. 
Now, Gibeon is this town where it seems like the Gibeonites, I don't know if you remember them, they tricked Israel under Joshua so that they made a treaty with them and they pretended to be something they're not and all that. And Anyway, this town called Gibeon had a pool and it's it's sort of close to the border of of southern Judah and where the border of Ishbosheth's territory would come together. So it was a sort of nice middle meeting point. And it says there in 2 Samuel chapter 2 that they met at the pool of Gibeon in this town called Gibeon. And one group sits on one side and one group sits on the other side of the pool. So they see each other across the pool and Abner can see Joab and Abishai and Asahel and and Joab and Abishai and Asahel can look across the pool and see Abner and his men And then they look at each other. And Abner goes, Let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab says, Let them arise. And maybe they clap their hands. And it says, Twelve men pass before them. Twelve who come and and maybe they walk from behind Abner. Twelve men walk and they go over and they line up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And then twelve men from Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And those twelve walk from behind them and they line up directly across from the twelve from Ishbosheth. You know, I would be staying across from my number one, then number two would be staying across from their number two, number three would be staying across from their number three. So we have a line of 12 men standing across from another line of 12 men. And this is the battle. And this is the fight. While the commanders sit by the pool across from each other, these 24 young warriors are going to fight. 12 for David, 12 for Ishbosheth. And they're staring right across at their competitor. And I don't know if they gave a certain sound or if they blew the shofar or if they clapped their hands, but at a given sign, each man caught the head of their opponent across the way from them and thrust their sword in the opponent's side. And then the other guy went and thrust his sword in the opponent's side as well. And they went, that's one. Oh, that's group two. Oh, that's group three. And they went down the line. All 24 men stabbed their opposite. You know what I'm saying? Number one stabbed the number one opposite. Number two stabbed the number two opposite. All the way down to number 12 stuck his sword in his opposite number 12 and they were grabbing each other's head maybe under their armpits and they stabbed each other and they pushed it in and uh, all 24 men dead they killed each other now, what sort of battle is that? I don't know if they were thinking, well, you know what? If you stab and then you stab, but your stab is less than my stab, then I'll win and we'll get six out of 12. Whoever gets the majority wins. Yay! But guess what? All 24 men died. I don't know if they looked at each other across from the pool and said, well, hey, that didn't work. Because then, 
all war broke loose. The battle was on. The whole army from David's side and the whole army from Ishbosheth's side, they start fighting hand to hand and war breaks out. And there is fighting left and right and swords clang, clang and chariots coming in and arrows being shot and spears being thrown and shields being held up and the battle is raging and this is a major skirmish here in Gibeon. What started out as a battle between 24 men now involves both armies and Abner. He's like, I have got to get out of here. And so Abner, he gets to running. And he he's fighting all the way, but he also knows I've got to get back to my territory. I've got to get back to some safety. And he brings some men with him. Well, Asahel, he sees this. And he sees Abner running. Now remember, Asahel is the brother of Joab, the commander of David's army. But it says that Asahel is as swift as foot as a wild gazelle. Which means that Asahel can run. He is fast. And when he sees Abner running and turning tail, you know what Asahel does? He focuses on Abner and he drops everything and runs. And just runs. And Abner looks behind him and he sees this little dot running towards him. Wow, that guy's moving fast. And he's running maybe to keep going. He's got all this armor and all this gear on top of him. And there's this sense that Azahel had nothing really except his speed. And that was it. Maybe a sword. And he looks behind him again, Abner. And he sees that spot getting bigger and bigger. And he, he finally recognizes it, it's it's Asahel. And Asahel, he could have turned to his left. He could have fought somebody on his right. But he doesn't. He just focuses on Abner. And then Abner even yells out, is that you, Asahel? And Asahel, how he does this running and sprinting, he goes, it is I. And Abner goes, hey, well, why don't you turn to your left and fight one of them or turn to your right and, and seize one of those young men and fight him and then take his spoil. Stop running after me. But Asahel, he wouldn't. He kept running. He kept coming towards Abner and he's getting closer and closer but the thing is, Abner knows. Asahel, he's not ready for battle. I don't know if he knew he was way younger than him. Or like I said, maybe he knew he wasn't wearing the right gear. He didn't have as great a club or a sword or a spear as Abner. And he knew he could easily take out Asahel, but he does not want to. Why? Well, it says in verse 22, he says, turn aside. Abner says, run away. Stop following me, Asahel, because I don't want to strike you to the ground because I don't want to lift up my face to your brother, Joab. He knows if he kills Asahel, Joab is going to be coming after him. And he doesn't want that. So he pleads as they're both running. He pleads, Asahel, turn away, turn away. But Asahel refuses and he's catching up sooner. And then Abner's running. He's got his sword in his hand and he's facing away from Asahel. And so what he does is Abner takes his spear and whoo, he shoves it behind him. So he's running forward. 
but 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 he takes the butt of his spear and shoves it behind him as he's running forward, just hoping to push Asahel back to get him away. Well, Abner shoves behind him so hard and so fast that the butt of his spear hits Asahel in the stomach and it comes out his back. So Abner's running around. Oh, and Asahel clunk falls down dead. Abner probably pulls out his spirit. I wasn't even trying to kill him. I the pointy end is at the other end. I was just trying to shove him away with the butt end, but I, I knew he didn't have the armor. Oh no, what am I gonna do? And the battle's raging, but in the middle of all this, Joab and Abishai. They run over and they find Asahel and they look up and there is Abner. He killed our brother and just like Abner said, Joab is out to kill him and he gets the whole army to pursue Abner as far and fast as they could and they're running after him and all the army of Ishbosheth led under Abner are basically retreating at this time and they get to this hill called Amah which is basically an entrance to the wilderness so they can get home and it says that the tribe and people of Benjamin, they get behind Abner. And there is Joab and Abishai and some little ragtag crew. And Abner turns to Joab and says, Shall the sword devour forever? Hey, if you come to attack me right now, the end will be bitter. It's going to be better for you to turn around. And let's fight this another day. So Joab, he realizes he's outnumbered, but he hates Abner now. He killed his brother Asahel, and Joab puts a shofar to his lips, blows the trumpet. And all the men stop fighting. And he let the men of Abner, the army of Ishbosheth, retreat. And Joab and his men went back. It says there in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 2, that on that day, David's men, they only lost 19 men plus Asahel, so 20 total. David only lost 20 men out of his army. Well, well, Abner's army or Ishbosheth's army, they lost 360. 360 out of Ishbosheth's army to only 20 out of David's army. This is awesome news. But Joab, he's going to remember. He's going to remember what Abner did. And he's going to remember the loss of his brother Asahel. And he's got revenge in his heart. And one day, one day, Abner, you just wait. And what is that one day? 
And what's going to happen between David and Ishbosheth? And how is this civil war going to play out? Well, if you come back next week, you can find out more of the story. But I just want to encourage you this week. There's lots of little messages in this story. One of them is don't lie. It can cause you a whole bunch of trouble that you never expected and never wanted. Number two, just wait on the Lord. That's what David did. He he always sought God's face first before making a major decision. Seek the Lord. Trust in him. Obey him no matter what the cost. That's what we can learn from David. And that's what we can learn from the silly Amalekite who lost his life. Why? Because he tried to do things in his own way. And he tried to lie. And it cost him his very life. I just pray that you and me will be honest, truthful people who will seek the Lord's face in everything that we do and everything that we say. Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian. Music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian. Edited by Lincoln Katzian. If you'd like to listen to more Baldhead Bible Podcasts, please subscribe. New episodes added every week. 